As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. DirecTV gives you access to apps like Netflix and live sports right next to each other. I don't get it. Let me put it in pigeon terms. It's like that one amazing dumpster with the old fruit and cardboard all in one place. How am I supposed to keep up with illustrative metaphors when you are making me so hungry? Get live TV and streaming apps together without a satellite. Visit directtv.com. Requires high-speed internet-connected Gemini device and separate paid subscription to watch Netflix on DirecTV. Terms and restrictions apply. It's not about me. I'm only here for a minute. And I know that I can't fix it. I can help even just a little bit Won't you let me try Hello and welcome to the latest edition of Laz and Powers. I am Mark Lazarus. I am within a six-foot radius of Scott Powers, so all hell might break loose on this podcast. Scott, how are you? I'm good. I'm good. Feeling good? No symptoms? No coughs? No. No sniffles? No, no I was. I, was, I took the, my daughter to the pediatrician yesterday, and I, I was curious, like, just whether they just... They like well. They asked me if I was out of the country. Like that was the main right. question. But uh, she just had a normal air infection and normal one hundred four temperature. I, I dropped off my daughter at school yesterday at seven fifty as always. At eight fifteen, I got a call from the school saying she had a fever and I had to take her home. Uh, they said it was one hundred hundred point two, which is technically not a fever. Got her home ninety eight point seven. She's fine. Hundred two. Hundred point two. Hundred point two. Got her home and she has a ninety-eight point seven, which is obviously fine. Yeah. And she had to stay home today too, because that's the rule that if you miss one day for a fever, you have to miss the next day. So my daughter got like two bonus days of vacation, basically. She squeezed a four-day weekend out of this. Yeah. Now even my daughter was I would t- drop her off at daycare. I'm like, well, she's sicker than my. Like you look around the room and there's definitely kids. Oh are God, definitely yeah. Sicker They're disgusting. Than- there's a, there's, a, there's a kid in my daughter, my other daughter, my younger daughter's in her daycare or preschool had scarlet fever last week. Really? And it's the kid that's my daughter's best friend, and they're always constantly hugging each other. So I'm just waiting for that shoe to drop now. So good times in America and the rest of the world. So today, we, we I guess we saw the first time really affect our jobs in that the Blackhawks had the, uh, Jeremy Colleton, well, who always speaks in a press conference setting, but also every single player in the locker rooms were closed and... Um, yeah, I don't know. The players all 
it's, it's kind of funny on the first day, like, oh, this is weird. Yeah, it's, it's it's weird because we we don't we haven't really felt this in the U.S. yet. You know, yeah. like uh, like you're seeing other leagues, not the German league, and it's on like the KHL playoffs and all this being affected, and certainly other countries and the U.S. We just haven't seen it, and I I think I mean everything sounds like it's just a matter of time before we have an outbreak here to some degree. Well, but yeah, not to be not to be a doomsayer, but it was like it was you know like two weeks ago Italy was mostly fine with yeah. just a few hundred cases. Now the entire country's on lockdown. So. Yeah. You know, we're at a couple hundred cases a couple of days ago. What's going to be like here in 11 days? Right, right. yeah. it's. Um, yeah, I, I'm curious. Yeah, I, I don't – we'll see what – yeah, it's – you know, like you see the Sharks possibly not playing uh, games in front of fans or having to move games, and it's – They're I, fortunate I, they don't have a Blackhawks-like schedule. The Hawks are home, like, this entire month. Yeah. The Sharks only have, like, three road – But all you need is, like, 50 cases to pop up here, and then we could be seeing yeah. – So, you know, like, it, it, it could quickly move. So, I'm – I know right now it doesn't feel like we're affected uh, in, in Chicago as much or even with on the beat, but it, it feels like you can move. Yeah, there's a school in Indiana that's been shut down for the next two weeks because uh, there was a confirmed case yeah. there. I mean, it's once it happens, it happens fast. We've all seen the movies. Um, it's interesting. I know nobody cares about the sports writers' laments here, and I've been careful not to wade too deeply into that conversation yeah. on Twitter because, you know, people just it, – it, it, it A, never comes off well, no, no. and B, nobody gives a fuck about us, right, right. nor really should they. But yeah. Um, there is an impact in the covers that we get. I mean, this is our job, so yeah. obviously we're affected by this. And I think we all understand that, you know, in, in a vacuum, if this was just some random season, they said, you know what, no more open locker rooms. Uh, you get everybody in a press conference setting, we'd be screaming bloody murder. Yeah. But I think everyone understands these are extenuating circumstances. We're all assuming and hoping that it goes back to normal after this passes. It, it's also, this is what, like, primarily coverage, and there's other yeah. writers that do this, you know, like covering and having done some of the Bulls and stuff, a lot of that's in... Uh, you know, scrum settings, and yeah, you know, I know that at times we feel like access can be better, and, and you know, I think we all, you know, regardless of what team we can get, but yeah, it's been pretty good usually with hockey and just the amount of access and the one-on-one coverage, and now, yeah, this makes it harder. And it does affect the readers. I mean, if you like stories like like Scott when you wrote about Kevin Lankinen's book club, or yeah. if you like the goofy shit that I write, you know, where I'm talking about the quirks of, of hockey culture and stuff, these are things that won't get written now, because you're not going to add, A, you can't have a conversation with somebody in a press conference setting. Yeah. And the only time you get any good interviews done is it's a conversation, not an interrogation. That's what I always tell journalism students. You can't interrogate someone. You yeah. have just have a conversation with them. You can't do that standing seven feet away with 20 of your colleagues listening. Yeah, yeah. And you're not going to ask interesting, you know, unique questions that are for a proprietary story when all your colleagues and competitors are listening in. So, you know, it's going to be a lot of, uh, you know, from afar and out. It'll be Premier League-type coverage, yeah. which... You know, maybe that's fine, but I think I think it does suck for us as writers because those are the stories we like to write. That's how you develop relationships. That's how you find interesting st- stories that you fall into. Uh, and I think it will, uh, it, you know, readers will notice that the coverage, you know, across all sports and across all platforms. Yeah, and I'm curious about baseball and, you know, some of that. I, I think at least our, our season's winding down. Blackhawks aren't likely to make a playoffs. I feel like I have a bunch of no? stories I'm working on <laughs> uh, that uh, can be written. And I know you have – I'm sure the coverage, our coverage may not show it over the next month. A whole yeah, I got lot. a couple things in the hopper. But I also have a couple of stories that – I'm probably going to get shelved till next year. Yeah. Things that I were was half finished with that I can't do anymore in this setting. That's a bummer, but it's it's certainly not the end of the world, and it's yeah. it's certainly understandable why no, nobody's bitching about it. But it's a matter of fact that it does affect what we do and what our readers get to see. Um, hockey. Uh, Is that more or less depressing than this? I'm not even sure. <laughs> probably less depressing. <laughs> 
Yeah, it, it, obviously a tough weekend for the Blackhawks, and any hope they had is, you know, as you wrote uh, after the Blues game, it's, I mean, the numbers it's still... Not, it's not happening. Right, right, sure. Like, it's, it's methodically it's possible, but it's... Very they would have to problem. go 11-2 and two yeah. just to get to 92 points. And that's, and that's it, probably not going to be enough because there's so many teams to get yeah, in front of it. They don't have any tiebreaker. I, I, and again, it's, you know, like, people are sort of yelling at us, like, oh, you guys are saying that they're within it, and... They were. If they, if they win games, they were right there. Like, they win these last few games. They're within a few points of the playoffs. And uh, ultimately it comes down to, and, and uh, this team has been inconsistent the whole year. And it, it's, it's been very, uh, certainly it's been wins and losses. But it's ultimately they're going to end up a few games over 500. And that's and that's what they are, you know. Like, it was never, they'll never, the highest, what well, the best record, and we can all argue whatever 500 is. But right. from a points percentage, they've never been four games above 500. And, um and, and that was even now during this the stretch was it was going to take them exceeding that and um, yeah I don't know it's you know it's uh, I think what made it worse not worse maybe made it more interesting but what probably made it more frustrating is the way they got to this mediocre record they didn't just win every other game right right they always went on like a five game win streak and then a six game losing streak and then a eight zero and one stretch and it was just this nonstop up and down that roller coaster gif I keep using and Jonathan Taze mentioned a roller coaster today I mean it's it's been like that all year and it's it, it it's it, it, they keep giving you hope that well maybe this is more than just a mediocre team because they string together a bunch of good games they knock off a Tampa they beat Florida on the road all of a sudden they have a four game win streak they're a couple points out uh, they don't just putter along they are just Hot and cold, hot and cold. They're never just warm. Yeah, and I, I think even with just the way that Taves talks, not like there used to be like more of an enthusiasm toward like we can still do this, and yeah. they're, they're all saying the right things, but there's not a there's no feeling. that Detroit game ended everything. I mean, you can't you can't recover from that. Yeah, that was that's a historically bad team he yeah. lost. To. And Detroit goes. I mean, Detroit's actually played better, but that's a game yeah, that if you're, and, if you're and, gonna, there were, and there were injuries and they were back to back and they got yeah. into Detroit at like 3:30 in the morning. But if you're going to do this, you needed to yeah. win that and and I guess it's this is a team that's who struggled to defend a lot of the season and given up these chances and 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 in the end it's the offense that that failed them, you know, only scoring yeah. one, one goal in the last two games. Um, how do you What's important the rest of the year? Like what, like how there's uh, there has to be some emphasis still on just not just winning games, but I think there has to be more of a development, or or even thinking outside the box on the power play, or or getting Delia or Subban or whomever. Just you know, bringing up Hagel, I think is good and giving him a look. And if he has to play this time, this is his third time. Yeah, call if he hasn't played yet. But I, I, even at this point, I I call Kurashev or you know, like I shift. You know, switch out who that last emergency call-up is. Not like I think getting those guys some NHL experience. I think Delia and I wrote about him today. I, I think I think he's number one or number two next year based on whomever they resign or who comes in. But I, I think getting him in NHL games and I think there's there's some important importance to um, yeah you know like playing Carlson as much as possible and if Bocas comes back and you need there has to be some focus the that gets them going because this is largely the same group that's going to come back. And, 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 again, we saw them playing, working on the power play so much again today, and they, they shifted around some personnel, and Taves is on the wing a little bit more. And it was interesting. You know, I, I looked at Taves has one power play goal the whole season. Like that's it's, brutal. It's, he was at, and I, he's not having an unproductive season. Eight or nine last year, five. yeah. I mean, Dabrinkit leads them in power play goals, you know. Yeah. Like, it, it wasn't his area of uh, – you know, like he struggled in five and five, but you know, like I, yeah, I don't know. I I guess that I, I feel like them just trying to win games isn't enough. Like they need 
to be creative. They need to try some things, try to get as many guys in the lineup or build something where... Well, that, that's going to require an acceptance that I think, like you said, they're starting the show. Taves' attitude. You know, Colleton, even when we were in Florida, said something like, you know, before we fell out of the picture, and then they climbed back in again, of course. But, yeah. Yeah, you know, Corey Crawford was going to start every single game the rest of the year. It was going to be 2011 all over again. You saw that with the fact that he played in Detroit. And he played, he played fine in Detroit. He wasn't the reason they lost. Um, but, yeah, I agree with you. Let's see what Subban has to offer. Maybe he's a thing for you. I mean, he's, they're acting as if he has no chance of coming back next year. But maybe you, you, you see what he has. You throw Dealey in there. Lankanen, when you said, is hurt. But um, the, now that you, you have to accept that you're not going to make the playoffs, and then you can make those kind of changes. You can make the call-ups. You can sit some veteran guys to make room for a Kurashev or someone like that. You can see what else you have in net. Uh, but to do that, they're going to have to publicly accept that they're not making the playoffs. Yeah. And I haven't quite heard that from them yet. Where you, you know, uh, uh, I think it was after the last game and Colleton saying, you know, we're going to do what we always do. We're going to try to win. But we've been developing guys all year. We've been putting guys in big roles. And, he's, and that's true. Yeah. You look at Boquist and Doc, and, you know, they are playing big roles. And Carlson stepped right in and was playing a big role and, and, and looked really good doing it. So they have been developing yeah. all year. That, that has been a focus. But I am a believer in that whole winning culture thing. And Patrick Kane's been beating this drum for a couple of years now where he sees these young guys come in and when the team's not doing well, they, they kind of accept it too much. And he doesn't want guys accepting that. He, the, what, what, one of the things that separated this team when they were really good was that kind of uh, almost like a fuck you attitude they had where they just, you know, they were, nothing was ever good enough and they were never going to be satisfied. And you had to win and any loss was unacceptable. Um, and that hasn't been the case for three years now. So there is something to be said for, you know, not just losing your next 12 games yeah. here. Like they do have to, it's, it, it's a fine line to walk where you need to get these young guys in and see what you have and experiment. Like you said, I love the idea of just put a power play unit that doesn't have Taze and Kane and, and, uh, and Keith on it. Put just five put, forwards right, out there. Just go nuts. At this point, there's nothing this is, like Yeah, be a mad scientist right now because uh, you need to do that. But at the same time, you can't go out and lose 5 nothing every night because that's going to have a negative impact in the fall. I, I was thinking about the power play yesterday, and um, and it, to me, a lot of it's, you know, I feel like Taves did a lot of scoring around the net last year, and, and, and the way the Nisimov even, like, not that he missed Nisimov in five on five, but you, you missed his presence where, I mean, he led them in power play goals a couple of years ago, like, and maybe that guy was going to be Shaw, but, like, they need to figure that out, that role, because I think you have the shooters in the Brinkett and Kubelik and, and, and certainly what, what, what Kane brings and it's figuring out how Taves works in that role but to uh, and I think Bocas evolves in that but I, I've, I yeah it seems like that, that net front guy and you know like there's they put Kubelik in front of the net they, they put Brinkett in, in front of the, of the net, net. Yeah, like, like man I know he's kind of just been lost as an afterthought but Andrew Shaw makes a difference on this team yeah. in that role he has proven he can do it um, that I'd like to see Put Drake Kajula there on a power play. He he is effective in front of the net. We've seen, you know, Boker's got a couple of goals with him as a screen. I mean, you need to. Uh, I almost think like Highmore or someone like you just trying just someone things. scrappy, yeah. someone in there that can just you know rough it up in there and, and stand tall and, and and just be a pain in the ass for the goalie. They they, they just don't have that. I, I'm curious about Kajula, like where his future stands with he's this an team. RFA, right? Yeah. So like, it's a good he, player. He, he's obviously good. It just. He, he can't stay healthy, and part of it's his own doing, and that he's he's that type of player. And you wrote about it too, but uh, or tweeted about it. I got one of the two, but it, it's at some point like you need to have faith that he's going to be able to stick in your lineup. And when depending if you're going to pay him a million plus, and he hasn't, you know, the concussions. And now, 
I get why he fought the last game, but but he's got to stop doing that. Yeah, like it's if you it, have a concussion history, look, everyone loves it. And when it came down, he still broke teammates. whatever did that broke his hand, whatever his hand. hand. Yeah. yeah, but he also took like two terrifying uppercuts to the chin. Yeah, this is a guy with a, a long concussion history. It's it's look, I, I everyone in the room has loved it. Keith loved it. Murphy loved it. Colleton liked it. You can't be doing that. You have to subsume that part of your personality because you are more valuable to these players as a teammate on the ice than you are fighting a guy and then getting missing weeks at a time. Yeah. You're risking your own health. Everybody, it, it's such a hockey thing. Like, oh, he's standing up for his teammates. Well, fucking stand with your teammates. Stop getting punched in the head. It's yeah. bad for you. I mean, he's got to start thinking about, he's got to start being selfish. He's being selfless out there. He's got to start being selfish and think about his own career. He's a good player. He's a phenomenally good skater. Like, he's underrated. He's got some offensive ability. He's on, like, a 20-goal pace this year if you were playing 82 games. Right, yeah. I mean, and, and, you know, he's, right now he's making, he's making $1.5 million this year. Uh, he's only 25 years old. I mean, this is a guy who could be a piece for you long term. You need and the type of guys that can play up and down the lineup. He, I don't think is, you want him to be your top line winger, but the fact that he can play on the top line is so important. Well, it's exactly Connor Murphy after the game said he's an Andrew Shaw type player, and that's such a fitting, apt description because he is that kind of player. Yeah. But he's also has all the baggage that Shaw brings with him. Is that he's injury prone. He gets himself hurt. Like he puts himself in positions to get hurt with that scrappiness and you love to see it, but you want him to play. So Andrew Shaw is a terrific Andrew Shaw is what, twenty eight years old? And we don't know if he's ever gonna play hockey again. Yeah. He's he is mostly healthy right now from all accounts, but he's sitting out the rest of the year because he's that concerned about his health, which is the right decision and, and you know hope nothing but the best for him. But you have to think, you have to wonder if he's ever going to play hockey again, if, it, if it's that problematic at this point. And, you know, Drake Kajula is heading down that same path, a very good player who could do a lot more if he stays healthy and protects himself more. That's one of the interesting parts. Fighting is stupid is what I'm saying. Yeah, no, and then, I don't even know why I interact with some of the people on Twitter that are <laughs> saying the Blackhawks aren't tough enough and they don't have enough players that uh, deter player, you know, opponents from doing these things. And, and, and none of this stuff matters. Like you, they're going to make Sunquist is going to make that hit regardless of who's on the Blackhawks right. team and who he has to answer to. And yeah. look, when I was nine years old, I loved hockey fights too. I grew up though. Yeah, no, grow up. Yeah, it's it just what we know about concussions. Sometimes women and, broadcast hockey games, and sometimes you shouldn't fight a guy. Let's all evolve into the 21st century, please. Yes. Guys, it's been a long few days on Twitter. Sorry. <laughs> it's interesting that the Shaw thing and Kanjula and. Uh, Seabrook, like there's a lot of things that are going to impact the Blackhawks team next season that they have no control over. You know, like there's a lot of cap space that's going to be devoted to players, and even DeHaan, like he, uh, you know, he's younger and it's he's shown he can bounce back, but it's another shoulder surgery. And Seabrook, it's three surgeries, and Shaw, like we're unsure about what his future is, and and how even uh, in hand, but the question, like, do you resign him or just you know, um, even you know when we talked about before but Bowman being asked about Crawford's concussion history like does that make you apprehensive to resign him but I feel like there's some factors especially with the injuries of the guys who are out now and um, even Zach Smith was his back like you yeah. you're talking about a lot of guys and a lot of cap space that um, that you don't have any control over how they return and whether they're healthy and and a lot of those guys probably need to be in the lineup ne next year based on their contracts and like there's there's a lot of factors that the Hawks don't can control, and you can argue whether those guys kind of should have been you know been signed or traded for in the first place. But, but what's done is done, right? So it's it's interesting that I think that some of this next season, and Corey Crawford is the only UFA on this team. Yeah, that's yeah, crazy. Yeah, with Leonard and Gossett. And, and, and here's you know we, we got you know it sounded like good news last week where the uh, 
the, the GMs were told that the cap was going to be somewhere between like 84 and 88.5 million. Well, what happens if we start playing playoff games with no attendance? And that severely impacts gate revenue. Gas prices are plummeting right now. That's good for consumers. It's bad for hockey fans. I remember I once said that, you know, if you, I, I had a Twitter poll back when they traded Andrew Shaw and everybody was up in arms about it, trading him to Montreal. Would you rather be paying $4 a gas because that's what it would take to have Andrew Shaw? The Canadian dollar is so heavily impacted by gas prices that with the cratering gas prices and the cratering Canadian dollar, it's going to drop below 70 cents uh, American. That greatly impacts the revenue because the TV deal in Canada is so much more substantial than the American TV yeah. deal. So $88.5 million, that's not happening. You know, the, the, We could have a flat cap this year if things really get bad and we start seeing empty games in San Jose and other cities. Uh, and Myrtle wrote about the escrow and stuff like that. Yeah, it's the, already, yeah the players are always reluctant to use their escalator because of the escrow. Uh, there's no way we're having an $88 million cap next year. You'd be lucky if it's 83. It's 81.5 this year, right? Yeah, lucky if it's 83 next year. So there's there's not going to be the, the the cap space fairy isn't going to come and bail out the Hawks. And the Hawks, and, and I've written about it too. But there's really not a lot of space. You know, when you and if they're gonna, I think you know everything I hear is Kubalik probably gets a little bit more than we even imagine. Like it's it's you know that could be four or five million. And uh, I, I think they're going to resign Strom and, uh, and and they still know Crawford's situation. The cap space they do have coming off, it's going to fill up pretty quickly. And then all of a sudden you need to fill up guys on the roster i i almost thought that this year was a better chance to win just because uh, you had a goalie situation and you had gustafson and um and certainly stan bowman had to make a decision at the trade deadline and i don't i don't i guess i don't criticize him for having become more of a seller but uh, this team doesn't automatically get better next year like you need growth with from within and you're, you're banking on some guys but within, yeah. you're not you're not adding new players to this roster anytime soon other than young guys and maybe Ian Mitchell's, you know, it's and you know, I saw him in Denver and he looks like he, he could, you know, has that potential, but it's going to take him a minute. And um, yeah, no, it's, it's, there's not a lot of movement And last summer was so much. We saw so much change and, and this summer, I think it's the complete opposite where they're even going to struggle to resign who they have. And, and, and some of that has to do with Kubelik exceeding expectations and, um, but yeah, even with Strom playing better now at center, like they, he's gonna ask for some money, you know. It, 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 the Cuba League contract is gonna be fascinating to me because typically speaking, one year of production doesn't make you a four or five million dollar player. Yeah. But if he goes out and he finishes with 30, 35 goals, how do you not pay him like a thirty-five goal score? He's twenty-four years old. He's not some kid. You can't. But at the same time, he is a restricted free agent. They have, you know most control over that. What would he get in arbitration? I don't know. Yeah. Hawks traditionally never go to arbitration. Uh, that contract is going to be the one that decides everything. Because I, th I think Strom can be had at a reasonable cap. And now, like, a year ago, we would have expected him to be a 5 or $6 million guy. I think you can have him at 3 3 and a half for a few so years. Too, yeah. So that'll help. Um, but do they even have money to give Strom $3.5 million, Kubelik $4 million, and then Corey Crawford, say, $4 million? Yeah. I don't know if they do. It might be a Delia Lankinen situation next year in goal. It might be the complete opposite of if this I'm year. If I'm Crawford, though, too, like, I, I would, is it worth maybe exploring free agency? You know, like that's, that's, that's a personal decision. I mean, he's 35 years old, and he has been with this organization for 17, 16 years, yeah. something crazy like that. Uh, he, he's basically been around as long as Keith has. He was just in the minors for a long time. Uh, I don't know if, if he's willing to do that. I mean, he's settled. He's got a family. He's got kids. Yeah. I, I guess I just I, I, I think some, someone would give him a fair amount of money. He's been great this year. He really has. And, and some of it's, I, I guess for some of these older guys, it depends on how much winning matters to them or how much for that. Like, are they sold on the Blackhawks winning within a year or two? Or, like, what's their role in if it's just a rebuild in any way, you know? Like, it's... 
Um, I'm curious about that too, because even even what Kane said at the trade deadline, like you know, he wants to have conversations about what the future is. Yeah, what's and, and Crawford has the leverage at least where you know he can explore what's out there and um, the way that he's playing, that he's still playing at an elite level. He's still and, a two-time Stanley Cup champion goalie. Those don't grow on trees. Yeah. Um, it's interesting though. You look at the. I'm looking at Cap Friendly right now, and you know, obviously this is because so many guys are on IR right now. Um, but the average age of this team is like 25. Yeah. The forward average age is 25.3. The defense average age is 25.7. Uh, Crawford is the only thing keeping the, the average up at this point. Uh, it, it is a young team, and you know, it, it's kind of been a stealth rebuild for a while now. The last couple of years, they've been getting younger. I mean, the, you know, the Strom trade, here's another young guy, the Nylander. I mean, you're, it's just whether those young guys are going to be good enough or be the type that's of That's just player, it. Right? And so it really – it's fun to talk about hypotheticals about what this team could look like next year and everything. It's going to look a lot the same. Yeah. And it has to come from within. And that's what it comes down to. Do you believe in the Blackhawks player development team to turn, you know, Alex Nylander into a consistent NHL performer? Do you believe in them to, to find another Kubalik out in Europe? Do you, this is what it's going to take. It's going to take guys on entry-level deals making big leaps. Can Kirby Dock, who has been good all year but not quite productive all year, can he – you know, it's interesting, you know, when you talk to Colleton about Doc, he's, you know, when you were talking about teenage centers, usually you're talking about they need to work away from the puck. He's good away from the puck. Yeah. He needs to finish. He needs to score more. Uh, so so can, can he make that? If, if, if Kirby Doc's a 20-goal scorer next year and Kubelik's still doing what he's doing and Debrinket has a regression to the mean and gets back to the 30 area, then this is going to be a team that's going to win hockey games. Well, it comes down to the defense again still, too. Yeah. You know, like, yeah. I, I think I think the positive is that you've seen when you bring putt-moving defensemen into this team that there's... Luke, Lucas Carlson, I, I don't want to put too much stock in just a couple of games. For sure, but... But that gives you hope. Like, well, shit, maybe this guy's a guy we weren't really factoring into the mix. Looks like he's pretty good. And, and that's the thing. Like, he's been the Ice Hogs' most consistent defenseman for a couple of years, and he wasn't given a look because I, I think they feared his size when you add him to Gustafson and Boquist. And, yeah. Um, and there's a little bit of a skating, but at this point, I, I think you just have to. And but the problem now too is that you, as much as Carlson's fit into the mix, like does he beat out someone next year when you add DeHaan and Seabrook and maybe Mitchell and like I think the Blackhawks need if they're really pushing these young defensemen um, that they need to get themselves out of the way a little bit where you need to you need to open up room for these guys. Like if Carlson shows that he's good enough, I think you need to have Carlson in the lineup and. Uh, and that's figuring out whether that's sitting a veteran or moving a defenseman, a veteran defenseman. But um, I think that that's just the path to it, like where they need puck-moving defensemen and they need, need guys who are going to drive the offense. And, and that's supposed to be a lot of Colleton's defense, you know, Colleton's system too. And I think we've seen, you know, even that St. Louis game, like it's your move, your, I think that the shots were down um, – at least a handful of games lately where the yeah no the, the, the Detroit, shots Detroit and them. the Blues were both in the twenties yeah mean, they're playing better hockey and they're doing it with like you know Nick Sealer in the lineup yeah. instead of some of their better players I mean if next year's defense is something like Keith and Murphy followed by Boquist Carlson Mitchell and like a Dahan you can work with that there's enough veterans and then there's enough promise there yeah but what do you do if Seabrook is indeed healthy I mean you can't I mean if he's your number seven then then so be it maybe that's Maybe that's all he's going to be capable of doing is playing half the games uh, after being, you know, bionic, uh, coming off three surgeries like that. But where does Olimata fit? Where does Slater Cuckoo fit? Slater yeah. Cuckoo's been pretty decent. Well, Sealer's signed for next year too, right? Like he's yeah, but he's a guy you can you could put him in the minor right for sure. Yeah, I just, but it's right yeah. But uh, if you have Boquist, Carlson, Mitchell, 
And then on, on top of Keith and Murphy and, and one of the veterans, then I think as a fan, you can kind of get behind that. It's like, all right, well, this is the future. We got three yeah. guys that are all really young and promising. Uh, you'd rather see that than see just more Olimata type stop, stop gaps just filling in space with, with, with you know, middling veterans. I'd rather see the young guys. I think so too. I, I think that, that. Yeah, I think that's what they need to do. Is they need to. And let's be honest. There's a good chance Seabrook is coming off three major surgeries. He's still walking around, limping around with a brace on his hip. I mean, it's opti- They say he could be 100 percent by training camp, but that's optimistic. It's very realistic that it takes him longer than that, and it's into October, November that until he's really able to kind of get back into form. That gives you that LTIR wiggle room during the season uh, to to do other things. I mean, that's going to be the big X factor. I. I Dahan and Seabrook, whether they're going to be ready, yeah. that's going to be the biggest X factor, and that's going to be a lot to juggle. I, I think with Dahan that there's enough time that you know, like it's a, it's a full, like it's even longer it's than he last year to, yeah. to, to come back. I mean, Seabrook's the question mark, but even with that, the LTIR, they're not going to use it in the off season. They've they've proven they don't want to do that, and right. then he's going to come back at some point. So I don't know how much. It, it just when does he come back? What type of player is he? And if he's not capable, is he willing to sit or you know, like there's, I, it became. This year, when they decided to sit him, like he all wasn't. All of a sudden, he was ready to get all these surgeries. Well, and that, and that, he wasn't. Like he's a key piece in that room, and if he's not happy, and you know, I, I think that he was almost on the cusp of, you know, be asking to be traded when he got sat this year. I don't think sitting for three more years is what he wants. You know, is that what three more years on a deal? I think it's four more years. Four more years. It, it's wow. It's yeah, four years after this year. So he's he is just getting to the halfway point of this contract. Does he come back healthy? Does it, he come it, back? It, like, what's it, he capable? Is he willing to be uh, a role player? That's well, that's the other thing. Is that I, I, if he, if the surgeries do what they're supposed to, like, what's what's realistic? Can he come back? Yeah, I mean, I mean, honestly, a I real mean, better if, player. If, if he's really been dogged by these things, both hips. Yeah. Good lord. Uh, maybe maybe he comes back better. Maybe that there is a you know a little bit. If they fix what's been wrong, maybe get gains half a step back. It's it, it's 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 super optimistic to be thinking about that for a thirty-five year old coming off three surgeries. But in theory. If this fixes what's been wrong the last couple of years, maybe he regains some mobility and some speed, and maybe he becomes a better player. I mean, you have to you have to at least allow for the possibility. For sure, and yeah, I think the Blackhawks have to be optimistic about this because it is what else can you do? Four more years, and yeah, so it's yeah, I, and even at net, like it's if, if Crawford comes back, it's um, but you're not you don't have the security of what you had in Leonard and in Crawford, and you know maybe Dealey is it or. Um, yeah, it's not it's not what it was this year, and um, Vegas is yeah. All of a sudden, Vegas looks a lot more dominant too. Yeah. With two goalies like that, and, and they're a team that we thought would be good this year. Yeah, struggle for a long to- a lot of the year. That Pacific Division is just so bad. I almost so wonder if Carolina wished that they just. I think I think paying the price for Leonard <laughs> might have been worth it. Like I, I, if you wanted to win, I think Leonard might have been worth the first round. I mean, they, you know, I, I think their their goalies are coming back soon. Yeah. They, they get back to where they were, but those those goalies aren't great to begin with. Yeah, and and I mean, they're a little bit. Out I of think it. there was genuine concern that Leonard would not fit in that room. Yeah, he is such a big personality, and that Carolina room, it's kind of like romper room in there. It's everyone's having a good fun, nice and loose time. I don't know if Rob, Robin Leonard fit in great in Chicago on a veteran team that kind of has other big personalities. I'm not sure that he fits in a Justin Williams type room. I think that was a genuine concern of theirs. Also, Carolina just historically doesn't do rentals. Yeah. Just don't do it. Yeah. I just I, I just think from a performance standpoint, like it was He would have been an upgrade. Yeah. No question he would have been an upgrade. 
And then that, that, that wild card race in the East is, is as crazy as the wild card race in the West now. With the Islanders plummeting and the Panthers are back in it and Columbus is right there, Carolina yeah. is right there. Uh, you got teams, it's just like in the West where you got teams going from second place in the division to second wild card in a hurry. In like one night, Columbus has to be the story of the year, right? Like, it just it's do we have to, do we have to start thinking that John Tortorella is a good coach? Uh, I think he's going to get a lot of coach of the year votes. Yeah, I, Sullivan's got to get in Pittsburgh. I think I know, but just I, you lose Bobrovsky and Panarin. I don't. And I don't. I, 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 I've been <laughs> ever since as the many 20, injuries they've dealt with. This it's year incredible. Too. Ever since the 2016 World Cup, I've just been on the. I've been convinced that John Tortorella is a shitty coach. But I'm starting to think I might be wrong because what he's doing, it's it's hard to argue with the, uh, the you know what he's doing, what Sullivan's doing in Pittsburgh with a team that's been so many key injuries to superstar players. Uh, I don't even see St. Louis has been without Tarasenko the whole yeah. year, you know. Uh, Craig Berube, uh, there's a lot of good coaches in the NHL. There's there's coaches that are making differences. So uh, that'll be an interesting. But who does the Jack Adams? Is it the broadcasters? Yeah, it's the yeah. broadcasters do the Jack Adams. So whichever one is the friendliest to the broadcasters will win. <laughs> so it won't be John Tortorella then. <laughs> He's gotten better, though. I think he was, used to be a lot, lot tougher. I haven't talked to Hedger in a while. Yeah. Hey, him and Hedger have a better relationship. Do they? I think so. Because it was, it was, it was pretty uh, I think it's more Toro accepting what Hedger, who Hedger is. And <laughs> when Hedger was a team employee, even, it wasn't going well. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so uh, the, the the roller coaster goes on. I feel good. We didn't talk a lot about people getting fired. or like it was, it was. Yeah, a, we found some new stuff to talk about. Thanks, coronavirus. Uh, um... So, yeah, we got some stuff cooking. Uh, read uh, Scott's story on Colin Delia today. Yep, and then uh, right about Ian Mitchell for tomorrow. And we got something cooking for Thursday. Uh, I've got I've got a few features left that uh, I did back when we had one-on-one access that I haven't written yet, so they'll be running next week. Um, in the meantime, wash your hands and don't touch your face. I touch my face. Especially since I grew this beard, all I can do is I'm, I'm like, petting myself constantly. I'm like a cat. <laughs> I can't help it. We're all going to uh, die. Yeah. All right. Uh, we'll be back at it next week. Next week? Yeah, we're home. This is a good thing of being home. Yeah, home for a while. So, uh, I'm Scott Powers. I'm Mark Lazarus. See you next time. Bye. Won't you let me try?